Well, what's up, 1130? How are we doing? Yeah, you guys doing great? You guys all look great. Thank you for joining us. Can we just put our hands together and welcome those that are watching online? Yes, you look good too, wherever you are watching us from. It's so good to be with you guys. My name is Nate and I serve as one of the pastors here on the team. And uh, I'm excited to jump into today's message. But before we do that, I just want to ask you guys a question. And the question is this, have you ever, by show of hands, have you ever been annoyed before? Yeah? All right. Uh, how many of you have that person in your life that you would just say, like, is an annoying person? Yeah? If your hand is not up, you might be that person. Uh, put your hands down. How many of you is that a spouse? Don't raise your hands. Just nod at me or blink at me and I will know. I don't want any emails in my inbox later on. Uh, but how about this? Have you ever been the one that actually was doing something annoying? Yeah? Been there before? So we got married, me and my wife Shane, about eight years ago, and we get married, we decide one day that we're going to make breakfast together, you know, on a Saturday morning, and we're having a good time, first year of marriage, and it's all going great. And I ended up doing something that I didn't realize at the time, like really annoyed her, like really bothered her. And the thing I did was this, so we're making breakfast, and in my family growing up, when you would break these eggs to make eggs, you took the eggshells and you put them back in the egg carton until you ran out of all of them and you threw the whole thing out. Well, I did that and I kid you not, literally we had this like, what are you doing moments with Shana? You know, when you get married, you say for better, for worse, this was worse for her. And we just ended up finding ourselves having this conversation and I realized that I had actually done something that was like really annoying for her. Uh, the text that we're gonna be looking at today, which is Luke 15, you can go ahead and turn there. In this text, we're going to find a group of people that are annoyed, and they're annoyed with somebody. But what might surprise you is that the person who they're being annoyed with in the story is Jesus. I mean, can you imagine that? He's literally like God, and he's like perfect, and most perfect like person who's ever walked the earth, and they're annoyed with him. And it gets even more surprising and shocking, and it's this, that the group of people that are annoyed with Jesus are religious leaders. Like the very people that literally are supposed to be like serving God, you know, and God comes and then they're like finding themselves over and over again, annoyed by him. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke 15. We're going to be jumping in here. A lot to cover this morning. But verse one, it says, now the tax collectors and sinners are all drawing near to Jesus and the Pharisees and scribes. Those are the religious leaders grumbled. They're just annoyed, like just grumbling amongst themselves. And they're saying this man receives sinners and eats with them. And what Jesus proceeds to do here is to teach three different parables that are going to teach us something so near and dear to God's heart. So if you're taking notes, you want to write this down as the main idea we're going to be talking about today is this, that God pursues those who are far away from him. God pursues those who are far away from him. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And what does that mean for our lives? If God loves and pursues those that are far away from him and he's called us to do the same thing, what does that look like for us? What would you pray with me as we begin our time. Father, we just want to invite you into this space right now. And God, we want to open up our hearts and open up our lives for you to speak to us. God, that your word would just go out today and would do what it's intended to do, that it would bear fruit in our lives. And Father, I pray for me that you'd help me to step out of the way and that I would only speak your words in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we've been in this series the past couple of weeks called The Heart of God. Not only is it our series, but it's also the theme that we have for the entire year. 
because we've been talking about as a staff, and we prayed about this and all like unanimously agreed on it, that there is so much chaos in our world right now. There's so much going on. There's division and hate and just this animosity between people. And we're looking at all of that and just saying, how do I as a believer respond? And it's harder and harder to know like what the right thing is to do. But if you and I would just learn the heart of God, we believe that that would really help equip us to know how to respond with the heart of God and his love to all these things that we're, hap- we're seeing happen around us. Because sometimes we can respond, even as Christians, with judgment or whatever it is, aggression, and it just serves to further divide people. And it keeps people actually from experiencing the love that God has for them. So we want to talk about the, the heart of God. And week one, Pastor jo- Josh talked about how God's heart is full of love for every single one of us. And week two, we talked about how that love then extends to other people, even our enemies. Wasn't that a challenging message? And can we just right now actually thank Pastor Josh for how he's been leading us these past few weeks and really just for his leadership. And I know that I've been challenged a lot by this series and I'm excited to get into today as well, where we're going to talk about how God loves and he pursues those that are far away from him. And he's called us to do the same thing as well. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one is that God is committed to pursuing the lost. God is committed to pursuing the lost. So Jesus will go on to tell a couple of parables here. One about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. One of them wanders away. And instead of just saying, well, at least I still got 99, right? Like as a lot of us math, maybe business people will think like, hey, like that's 1%, right? But no, this shepherd actually does something surprising. He leaves the 99, goes to pursue the one until he's found it. When he's found it, lays it on his shoulder, rejoices, and throws a party to celebrate this one sheep that was lost and found. And he tells a story, too, about a woman. And this woman, she has 10 silver coins. And back in that day, maybe this would have been all that she would have brought into this marriage with her because they didn't own property back then. So she would have had these 10 silver coins, and she loses one of them. And it's so valuable to her that even in the dark at night, she lights a lamp and she literally sweeps the entire house, turns every rock until she finds it, finds this one coin, and then she celebrates. And Jesus, with these two stories, really is trying to show here the kind of pursuit that God has for those that are far away from him. And really, it's the entire theme or the common thread that you see throughout the entire Bible, going all the way back to Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve sin against God, and they decide to run away from God. They decide to hide And in their shame and their nakedness, God goes after them. He pursues them. He finds them. He clothes them, provides for them, and literally makes them this promise that someday he would, through one of Adam's descendants, restore them into a relationship with him. And Jesus also put it pretty clearly a few verses, uh, a few chapters later on in Luke 19, verse 10, where he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Like he's literally saying, like, my entire purpose for coming into this world is because God loves and he pursues those that are far away from him. And he's committed to doing that. And I didn't know if I was going to share this or not, but I really just felt like God laid it on my heart to share with some of us in here that maybe you look at your life and you're like, hey, I'm doing great on that. And some of us are so all about this mission, like we're going to commit, we're going to go after the lost, we're going to just get them saved and convert everybody. And sometimes in that, we end up loving our mission more than we love the lost. That some of us love our mission more than we love the lost. And when that happens, what people end up feeling on the receiving end of that 
is our aggression and forceful ways that we're trying to just convert them, get them to believe everything that we believe. And God has just called us to love people because he loves those that are far away from him. So God's commitment to pursuing after the lost grows out of God's love for the lost. So can I just, maybe if that's you and you find yourself in that place and maybe you're just feeling personally attacked right now, that's not my heart in that, but I just maybe want to encourage you to lay down the megaphone and maybe to pick up some baked cookies or a meal and just to love people and meet them right where they are. That God never intended for us to see people as projects that we were out to conquer and get it done and convert them, but he's called us to actually see people for who they are and to actually love them because God's commitment and pursuit of the lost grows out of this deep love that he has for the lost. And in fact, he tells us about it in a couple different ways in a verse that you might all know, just to show how full his heart is of love. He says this, for God so loved the world. Emphasis on that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And I love this, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated. Like he literally puts his love out on display for us to see in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When you and I, when we were turning our backs on God, that he still loved us. He still pursued us. And with that kind of love, he's calling us to pursue after people, not as projects that we're going to convert and we're going to get them to believe what we believe, but to love them, even if they never come to believe what we believe. God's pursuit of the lost grows out of love for the lost. And Jesus tells us about the kind of love that we are to have for those that are far away from him. So this next parable that we're going to be looking at, there's a lot of text here. We're going to be reading a lot, but man, it is packed with so much in there that we can learn from. And Jesus says this, that the kind of love that you and I are called to have for people that are far away from God is the kind of love that a father has for his son. So look at this next parable that he tells of the prodigal son in verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger son said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And what the son is doing here in this story is kind of like today that when you have a parent who passes away, then the property goes to the descendants, right? Or whoever they decide to leave it to. The son is literally going to the dad and saying, hey, dad, like I wish you were dead. And all I want from you is just your property. That is my property, what's coming to me. And surprisingly, in the midst of that, the father actually gives him that property. So look at what happens. And the younger of them came to him and said, give me my share of property. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. So what he's doing here is he's taken as the younger son, he would have received a third and the older son would have received two thirds of the property. So he literally takes a third of his father's 401k, life savings, Roth IRA, all the above. And he takes that and goes off into a far land. He's like, Vegas, here I come, baby. Goes to Vegas. He's hitting up the casinos. He is balling it up. He's gambling. He's in the club, you know, partying up. His Instagram story is popping like, man, that guy has it made. He is swiping daddy's credit card, living it up. And then the story takes a pretty twisted turn here. Look at what happens in verse, verse 14. It says, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And when he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, no one gave him every, anything. 
Can you just imagine that? That he goes from living it up, he's on top of the world, squanders all of his property, his father's property, and then finds himself, this famine happens, and now he is absolutely at the lowest of the lowest. Jesus is speaking here to a Jewish audience who back in that context would have seen pigs as unclean animals by law that they had. And imagine him, a Jew, now he's out working in the field, feeding pigs. Anybody been to a farm lately and seen pigs? Yeah, they're just filthy animals, right? And can you imagine, not only is he feeding pigs now, goes from being on the top of the world to feeding pigs, but now he's longing to eat what the pigs are eating, and literally nobody's even giving him that. And if you do a little bit of research into these pods that they're talking about, so they're called carob pods, and back in the day, they were used to feed animals, animals primarily. What would happen in the nation of Israel is when they would turn their backs on God, they would pursue after whatever idol or sin it was that God would usually let a famine come to their land. And then they would get so low that they would start eating these carob pods. And anytime they ate, it's something about the taste of that pod in their mouth literally was meant to remind them that, hey, we have wandered far away from God and we need to repent and we need to turn back to God. So Jesus is doing something so powerful in the storytelling ability that he's telling here and just showing us that what looks so promising and that was so fun for the younger son, he just comes to find that in the end is a way of destruction. And maybe we've all been there before in our lives. And we come to realize this, that sin always overpromises and underdelivers. Sin always overpromises and underdelivers. That whatever it is in our lives that can draw us sometimes can look so enticing in the moment. Maybe if I pursue this relationship, then I'm going to find more meaning there. Maybe if I pursue this thing, then maybe I'll have joy and meaning and purpose in my life. And we end up finding ourselves broken, lost, and feeding some filthy animals and longing to eat animal food. And you just come to find that in your life, sin is going to take you places that you don't want to go, that you never thought you would go. It's going to make you do things that you never thought you would do. It's going to cost you more than you can pay, and it's going to keep you longer than you want to stay. That's what sin does in our lives. And when we're at that place that God, through his sovereignty, has given us things in our lives and our common sense and maybe his spirit working in our lives, that maybe the hard thing that you're walking through right now, the path of destruction that you've been on, that has put you at the absolutely low of your lowest, that that thing is meant actually to teach you a lesson to come back and turn back to God. That no matter how far you've wandered from God, you're never too far to come home. And that's what the prodigal son will do. Take a look at what happens. Verse 17, but he came to himself and he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough food, and yet I'm here perishing in hunger. I will arise, go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, and he's coming home, right, full of shame and disappointment and expecting this punishment. And he has this whole speech that he's worked on. I'm just going to go to him, say, hey, like, I just want to come home, like, Maybe just let me crash in the yard somewhere. Like, I don't, I'm not even asking to be a son. But take a look at what is so powerful about this story. But when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion on him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the, the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But before he's even done going through this speech, verse 22, but the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand to show that he's still my son. He still is a part of this family. 
put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate for this. My son was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. What the prodigal son learns in this story is that when he comes home, when he repents, that the father is full of grace and compassion. And some of you who might feel far away from God right now need to be reminded of that today. That oftentimes what our sin or our shame will treat, uh, trick us into believing is that, well, I've just done this thing that God could never uh, forgive me from. Or maybe I've just let God down too many times and I'm just too far gone. And we say this around here all the time that no one is too far away to experience transformation through Jesus. And when we repent, when we turn back to God, we find that God responds to true, genuine repentance with grace and with compassion. And that's what this father does in the story. Literally puts a robe around him, puts shoes on his feet, a ring on his finger. And he says, hey, why don't you go get the fattened calf? Let's butcher that thing and let's throw a party. And literally like it's steak dinner for the entire village. Can you imagine that? That you've just squandered away a third of your father's property and you return expecting this punishment. And yet in the moment, he chooses to respond with love and throws a party for you and invites the entire village to it. And the same kind of grace that the prodigal son experiences in this story is the same grace that every single one of us who believe in Jesus have experienced in our lives as well. That at one point we had let God down. We were far away from God in our sin, in our shame, and in our brokenness. And when we turn to Jesus and place our faith in him, that God welcomed us back in his family. And God's grace is this. God's grace is him giving us that which we could never deserve or earn on our own. And every single one of us have received that. God's grace giving us something that we never deserved on our own. That instead of punishing us, instead he says, I'm going to send my son to die on a cross for you to bear your sin. And not only that, but he's going to rise from the dead, welcome you into my family so that now you get a seat at the table. You get to be called a son and a daughter of the most high king. All because of God's grace. Because his heart is full of love and compassion and grace. Some of you just need to hear that today, that the enemy would have you believe that because of all that you've done, you need to just stay far away from God. But can I just encourage you today that as the prodigal son did, that you can also come home and that when you do, if you will repent and repentance is this, I'm heading in a direction that is destroying my life, taking me far away from God. And I realize that the way that I'm heading in is a path of destruction and death. And I'm choosing to turn away from whatever it is. And I'm choosing to turn towards God. If you will repent, you will find that God is full of grace and love and compassion for you. And he wants for you to experience that today. But these religious leaders, they just missed it in the moment. And take a look at their response, which they are the older brother in the story here that Jesus is talking about. In verse 25, now his older son was in the field. And he came and drew near to the house. And he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants. Notice how he doesn't go in to celebrate. He stays at a distance and calls one of the servants. And he asked what these things meant. The servant said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But the older brother was angry and refused to go in. And so his father is now going to pursue him to talk to him. And his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father. He says, look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. 
but this son of yours, notice how he doesn't say my brother, this son of yours, uh, spouses in here, you ever have a child do something, and then the other spouse is like, hey, your son did this thing, hey, your daughter, hey, your child is, you know, doing whatever, that's literally what he's doing here, he's not, not my brother, no, your son, uh, this son of yours came, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, and you killed the fattened calf for him, and he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours, and it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost, and he's found. And these religious leaders who are the older brother here in the story just show us this truth that is sometimes true in our lives, and it's this, that religious activity doesn't mean real intimacy with God. Religious activity doesn't mean real intimacy with God. And you sometimes come across people who they've been at church for a long time and they've done all these things and all these different ways that they're involved and they're so active and all these things. And yet, in some of the ways that they respond to other people, you can just look at it and say, man, they've really missed something so powerful about the heart of God and his love for other people. Religious activity doesn't mean real intimacy with God. And that's the whole reason why we are doing this series. We're talking about the heart of God because some of the ways that we respond to the world around us in judgment and division or separation or whatever it is, actually keeps people away from experiencing the love of God. So it's just so important for us to be people that are continuing to seek God through his word, through prayer, allowing him to just search us, to reveal things to us that we need to get rid of in our lives. It's so important for us to get involved in an outpost or in a huddle with other people that can come alongside you to hold you accountable, to challenge you, to just really look at things in your life that are not reflecting the heart of God, to continue to grow in that intimacy. And the more, the more time we spend with God, the more time we spend with others, the more and more we begin to embody his heart and understand who he is as a person. And the more that begins to transform us as well. And will you believe this, that actually eight years now into the marriage, Shana also puts her eggshells back in the carton and puts them back in the fridge. I'm winning. But the more time we spend with God, the more his nature becomes ours. And that's what really it looks like. So let's talk about some practical ways that we can do that in our lives as we wrap up our times. If we're going to embody God's love towards the lost and pursue them as he's called us to do, what does that look like? Number one, it means that we need to make room. It means we need to make room in our lives. So the other day, we're driving in our van, in our minivan, and I like stepped on the brakes, and it sounded like there was like a heavy metal concert happening somewhere under the car. And I'm like, okay, that's not normal, right? So I ended up doing some inspecting, figuring out what's going on, and realized that it was actually our back brakes. Like the brake pads were so worn, like it was metal on metal, scratching, right? It sounded like somebody was shredding a guitar, but it was just my rotor shredding back there. So I ended up buying all the parts for it, planning, like on a Saturday, I'm going to be home. I'm going to get into this. I'm going to replace these brakes like I've done before. It's going to take me 30 minutes. I know exactly what I'm doing. So Saturday rolls around. I'm up before the kids. I'm out there working on these brakes. I get set up. I do one side as I'm getting ready to go to the other side. I see my neighbor in this new neighborhood that we just moved into start to like come across his driveway, walking towards me. And I'm like, so I had to stop what I was doing, went and had, had a conversation with him. It was freezing outside. We ended up being out there for probably 40 minutes. But do you know what happened during that time? He got to share with me that they built this house back in the 90s. They've lived in there for like 30 years now. He even got to share with me how he grew up in the church, had gone through some hurt, 
how that really had impacted his relationship with Jesus, and he still believes in Jesus, but really has a hard time with church, asked some questions about the church. I got to tell him about Mercy Road, and guess what we're going to be doing soon here? We're going to be getting together soon to actually talk about God. But you know what that meant? That meant that I needed to make room in my life to be, to be able to see this opportunity that God had literally created to have those conversations. And so often we just get so busy with our lives and what we're focused on doing. I got to get to the next thing that we pass up on so many opportunities that God has for us that if we would just make some room in our calendars, in our schedules, make some room around our tables to even have people in our home, I just wonder how God would use some of those opportunities to begin to actually reach people that are far away from him. So are you making room in your life to see some of those opportunities for God to be able to move learn to make room in our lives. Number two, we need to learn to pursue. So we also moved into this new house and you just end up finding out when you move into a new house, like the projects just like never end. Anybody else? It's just, you know, it's still going on. We're like a month and a half into it and I'm still like, oh, I need to make another run to Home Depot, you know, and I usually act with my wife at home like that's such a big deal. Like, ah, I don't really want to have to go to Home Depot, but secretly I actually love going to Home Depot, Okay. (laughs) Uh, And I love it because you're in the store and you walk in there. And if you're like me, then you just have that look where you just look so lost when you're in there, just wandering around down all these different aisles. And usually you see somebody wearing an orange apron, right? And they are like the best workers. Hey, like, how can I help you? Can I help you find what you're looking for? And they're just so helpful. And they're coming to you and saying like, hey, like whatever you're looking for, like I know the way uh, to get you there. And I just wonder for us as Christians, if we would clothe ourselves with the love of Christ as an orange apron that screams through the world, hey, I know the way, and we begin to pursue after people that are far away from him, what that would look like in our lives and how God might actually use us to begin to reach people and to impact their lives and for transformation to begin to happen. But so often we're just so focused on our own thing that we're doing and we're not making room and we're definitely not pursuing people either. So can I just challenge some of you that you need to maybe today go across the lawn, go across the driveway to maybe go meet for the first time ever that neighbor that you have. You've been living in the house for years. You've literally never said hi to them. You get home, you put the garage doors down, and maybe what God is speaking to you today is to simply take that step to pursue them and go actually introduce yourself to them. Or you've shared an office building with them and you've never even taken the time to actually talk to them. Or your kids are on the same basketball team together. Will you make it a priority in your life to pursue after people in the way that God demonstrated for us, in the way that he pursued us, in the way that Jesus came after us? So we need to commit to pursue people. And Jesus, when he gave this command in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, he simply said this, to go, not to wait. He says to go, therefore, into all nations to make disciples. And he's calling every single one of us, not just those of us that are in full-time ministry, every single one of us to go and to meet people where they are so that they would experience a relationship with him. And then number three, we need to pray. We need to pray. We're going to commit ourselves to pursuing like it all depended on us, but we are going to pray like it all depended on God because it does depend on God. What we're talking about here is spiritual work to take somebody who's dead to make them alive spiritually, somebody who's lost for their eyes to be open, to see the reality of Jesus. You and I are absolutely helpless to do that if God doesn't step in and begin to move in that person's life. So we're going to pursue like it all depended on us, but we're going to pray like it all depends on God because it actually does. And that's the whole reason why we are praying right now during this month, 
during these 21 days because we believe that prayer transforms us, but prayer also moves God. And when we focus those prayers, that God steps in and begins to do some amazing things that only he can do. And I've been here on staff for a little bit over a few months now, and I'm so encouraged that every single week when we gather on Tuesday mornings to pray, there's one prayer request that has been in there every single week, and it's somebody from this church who has a family member who's far away from God that literally every single week will submit this request. Hey, pray for this person in my family who's far away from God right now. That's the kind of resolve, that's the kind of commitment that God is calling you and I to have when it comes to praying for people that are far away from him. So if we do all these things and if we pursue people, we make room in our lives and we pray for God to step in and to do what only he can do, it's really amazing to see what even one person coming to faith in Jesus has the power and ability to do and the ripple effect of that. And I want to share the story with you, which is the story of Angel, somebody that I know. And she was born in a third world country in a village in Africa. And at a young age, at the age of three, uh, Angel's mom actually ended up passing away, died when she was three years old and left her with some older siblings and then a younger six-month-old brother as well. And so her dad ended up going and remarrying. And at one point he was involved in the church, but he ended up wandering so far away from God that when that first marriage wasn't working out, he ended up going and taking a second wife. And now it became this polygamous broken home where Angel was neglected and grew up in such a broken family that her story really should have a tragic ending to it. You can only imagine the kind of life that she might have otherwise if it wasn't for one thing that changed in her life. And it's that at a young age, somebody invited Angel and she discovered a relationship with Jesus. And that single decision literally changed everything for her. See, in the third grade, she would decide to drop out of school to learn how to farm, to get into the business world, to support her younger brother and put her younger brother through school, which she ended up doing, put him through high school, helped to put him through college. He graduated then, would become a teacher and is now a nurse. And then later on, there was this guy who's traveling through Angel's Village, who was an evangelist at the time. And somebody literally through, prompt, through the prompting of the Holy Spirit, introduces Angel to this man and they end up falling in love with each other. They end up getting married. They end up going to seminary training to go into full-time ministry. And they are today in full-time ministry leading a seminary in Africa that is serving hundreds if not thousands of men and women that are coming to be trained and being sent out all over Africa to go preach the good news of the gospel, impacting so many people, serving in the local church, all because of that one decision and what that changed for Angel. And not only that, but Angel and her husband also had five kids. Out of those, three ki out of those, those five kids, three of them are in full-time ministry. One of them is a worship pastor in West Africa. One of them is a church planter. And one of them is this pastor who's speaking to you right now. See, Angel is my mom. See, Angel is my mom. That's her story and that's our family story. That when we talk about what could happen when God steps into somebody's story, because of God's pursuit in my mom's life and the relationship that she discovered with Jesus literally has changed an entire generation for us. And I would not be here today if it wasn't for that decision in my mom's life, but all of that started because of somebody inviting her and introducing her to Jesus. 
And that's what he's called every single one of us in here to do. I wonder how many spiritual giants like my mom do we rub shoulders with every single day. And their life might just look a little bit messy right now, but if God were to step into their story, that it could be people like my mom, like the Apostle Paul, that God could use in such a powerful way to transform the lives of literally thousands of people. And he's calling you and I to step into those situations, to step into those relationships, to begin to pursue, to begin to love them right where they are in the way that he's done for every single one of us. And maybe some of you are in here right now, and you just find yourself and you just look at your life and you just say, my life is a mess and my life is so broken right now. I literally don't know how God could ever do anything in my life. And this is as good as my story is going to get. Can I just encourage you with my mom's story that Jesus has the ability to step into your story, to transform your life and do things in your life that you would have never thought or even imagined or begin to comprehend? Because that's the kind of God that he is. And he loves you. And he pursues you even when you are far away from him and he desires a relationship with you. So as we close today, I want to do something practical, something active. So I'm going to invite all of you to go ahead and bow your heads with me. Close your eyes with me. Some of you are in here and you have somebody in your life right now that might be far away from God and God has laid that person on your heart to be the one person that you are going to commit to praying for and to pursuing them. If that's you, we're going to do something active today and make a commitment to pray for that person. So right where you're seated, would you raise a hand? If you're saying, I'm going to commit to pray for that person today, would you raise a hand in here? Yes, January 22nd is the day I'm going to commit to pray for this person by name and believing that God wants to meet them where they are and transform their lives. You can put your hand down. And then some of you in here, you're that person that feels far away from God and you feel like maybe God is disappointed with you. He's angry with you. Can I tell you that if you will turn back to God, you will find that he is, his heart is full of love for you, full of grace, and full of compassion. And he wants to meet you right where you are today. I want to offer you that opportunity to commit yourself, maybe for the first time ever, to a relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you've wandered far away from God and you say, today's the day that I want to come home. I want to turn back to God and repent. If that's you, on the count of three, I'm going to encourage you to raise a hand. One. Jesus loves you. Two, he went to the cross for your sin. Three, he invites you into a relationship today. So will you receive him? Will you raise a hand if that's you and you want to make that commitment today to follow Jesus? Yes, I see you in the front here. Yes, over here. Anybody else? Yes, over there, I see you. Anybody else in here want to make that commitment today to follow Jesus? You can come home no matter how far you are. You can come home today. Anybody else in here? And if you raise the hand, I just want to pray with you right now. Pray something like this. God, I thank you for loving me. God, I thank you for pursuing me even when I wandered far away from you. And God, thank you for sending your son to a cross for my sin. And I receive Jesus today as my Lord and my Savior. And on this day, January 22nd, I am committing myself to following after you. God, would you help me to live for you from this day forward? We thank you, Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen.